Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. So have you ever been on a hike? Maybe a bike ride, a walk? And, uh, man, you were coming there, and uh, you've seen this really big hill. And you're like, well, certainly once we get past this hill, it's all going to be smooth sailing. And then you get up on the crest of that hill, and lo and behold, there are like 50 others just like it. Realize that they're just bigger hills waiting. I want to tell you, I think that's what the Christian life is like. It becomes more difficult and more demanding the further you go. Now, truly, there are tremendous blessings in following Christ, and no one would deny that, but the Christian life, I'm here to tell you, is not an easy one. It's filled with many battles, and it's filled with many hills, and one of those battles that you and I are all familiar with is the battle with our sinful and selfish flesh. I know some of you may be here today, you're thinking, how is it possible that I have such a strong battle with my flesh? I mean, Pastor, you've been walking us through 1 Corinthians, and you've taught us that we have the Spirit of God living inside of us, we have the mind of Christ, we have the power of God operating all inside of us and through us, and so after getting all of that, how can it be that now it's more difficult to do what the Lord desires of me? There are three enemies that I believe gives us the answer to that question, and they are the world, the flesh, and Satan. One of them is on the inside, and the other is on the outside. The world and the flesh are Satan's primary tools to keep us from faithfulness and victory. Now, follow me just for a moment because I'm headed somewhere. When we become followers of Christ, we get a new spirit and we get a new heart. We're a new creature. We're a new, we're a new creature with a new nature. A new inner being or nature now that, that's favorable toward God. But from the moment of salvation, it's like you and I begin to swim, up, uh, swim upstream until Jesus comes back. It's just like climbing up a hill or riding a bike up a hill, you realize that in the Christian life, the gravity of this world and the slope of the flesh are constantly against you. Very quickly, I mean briefly, worldliness in the church has often been thought of things like dancing and drinking and playing cards and all those things that the world does day in and day out, and most messages on worldliness have been centered on those things, but, but I'm here today to tell you that worldliness is much more than just bad habits. Worldliness is basically a way of thinking and believing. Worldliness is not living according to the wisdom of the cross that we've taught on, the wisdom of God or spiritual wisdom as 1 Corinthians chapter 2 has been teaching us. It's not living in God's wisdom, but it's living according to the world's wisdom. Basically, worldliness, listen to me, especially you students, pay attention to me. Worldliness is looking to the leaders or the influential people, the the stars, the achievers, those who have a large following on TikTok, those whose Instagram blows up daily, those whose videos go viral. It's looking to them your standards of dress, your standards of whatever it is that you want to offer, your standards of relationships, your, your standards of what you're going to be and do in life. It's, it's looking to the world to determine what is right and what is wrong and even pursuing that end. That's worldliness. But our topic this morning is not on worldliness. Our topic this morning is on the selfish flesh. How many of you know that the battle with the flesh is real. If you don't, you will realize it during this message because your flesh is going to struggle with me. I'm just going to tell you. Paul talks about this struggle with the flesh in Romans chapter 7. I want you to think about these words. Romans chapter 7 verse 15, he says, For I do not understand what I am doing. 
For I'm not practicing what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Anybody been there? I mean, I've been there just this week. Do I have any fellow travelers along that road? Amen, all right. Hopefully we weren't doing it together. <laughs> then he says in verse 19, he says, For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I don't want. Yeah, I get you, Paul. And then he says, For I joyfully agree with the law of God in the inner person, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, the law which is in my body parts. In other words, what Paul just said, hey, I agree that all the spiritual stuff is cool, but I also see something going on in my flesh. You see, when you and I were born, we were born with flesh that has such a sinful nature that the strong desire to sin is going to be predominant in our life. But at salvation, Jesus pays for the penalty of our sin. But he also cripples its power in our life and ultimately will remove us from, our, from, from its presence. But nevertheless, while you and I are still alive in these fleshly bodies, the desire for sin in the flesh is going to be strong. The best word that I can describe the flesh is the word selfish. But the world and the flesh are closely related. The world and the flesh are both used by Satan and for the very same purpose, namely evil. At times, the world and the flesh are hard to distinguish. They're incredibly strong enemies, but most be fought with spiritual weapons, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. But in Corinth, in Corinth, they're struggling with the world. They're struggling with the predominant philosophies of the world. Aristotle and Socrates just feeding them all this worldly wisdom. And then, if you remember, they were having a whole lot of fleshly stuff going on. They couldn't seem to break with the world or with the flesh. They, they continually gave in to one sin, and then that one sin just led to another sin. If you will remember in the introductory message in 1 Corinthians, we talked about a whole lot of just crazy stuff. I mean, these people were doing things in the church that even people who don't go to church don't do. And sin is sneaky. Sin is so sneaky that one sin, if, if the, the flesh can get you to sin one way, it always sets you up and leads you to the next one. And then the second sin only makes the first sin even more necessary. Our text this morning, though, Paul brings attention to the selfish flesh and shows us how it leads to different sins. They were continually just giving in and yielding to their fleshly desires. So Paul says, hey, I want you guys to pay attention about the flesh. I want you to know some things about the flesh so that you can battle your selfish flesh. And so Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And because I love you, and I know that your mind can only endure what your seat can, I want you to stand again with me as we read the Word of God and honor the reading and speaking of God's Word. I'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. You'll find the words on the screen behind me. Or you can find a Bible in the seat pockets that are located underneath the chairs in front of you. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we would love for you to take that one as your gift to us. And then we also have some more in the back that we would love to give to you if you don't want to take that one. The Bible says these words. Paul says, and I, brethren, good word, I could not speak to you as the spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, as the infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For one says, I'm of Paul. Another says, well, I'm of Apollos. Are you not mere men? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believe even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one, I planted, polished water, but God was causing the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. 
You see, to bring you back up in the context, in chapter 2, Paul has just talked about how the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit. And that believers, he ends verse, uh, in, in verse 16 of chapter 2, he ends and says, we have the mind of Christ. And while believers have been born again and can receive the things of the Spirit and have the mind of Christ, Paul says it is still possible for us to walk in the flesh. It's still possible. And so many of us today want to just judge our brothers and sisters in Christ and say, well, if somebody really knew Jesus, they wouldn't do that. That is not true. We have to give a whole lot more grace to each other, amen? I'm still in this flesh. I haven't got this right. Have you got this right? So Paul says, this is a big deal. Let's, let's figure out what to do with this stuff. So he says this. He says, he teaches the first thing. He says, the selfish flesh stunts our growth. The selfish flesh stunts our growth there in verses 1 through 3. He says, hey, guys, I wanted to, wanted to speak to you as spiritual people. I gave you this milk, and I couldn't even feed you real food because you weren't able to receive it. Because you're still fleshly, he says. But, but I want you to notice something incredibly important there. If you look in your Bible, he starts out where I think we start out. And he says, brethren. Do y'all see that in your Bibles? Do I have anybody in the house that sees that word? I mean, it says brethren, right? Now watch this. This is so good. That is a term of love and identification. He's telling these very fleshly people, you're still my brother. <laughs> you're still somebody that I love. I still identify that you are in the family of God. It serves to remind them that, that even though they were sinning, even though they were caught in their worldly and fleshly choices, that didn't forfeit their salvation. <laughs> Aren't you thankful, church? Paul stands with them as their brother. He stands with them as their brother, not over them as their judge. They were spiritual men, and while they had come through the door of faith, watch this, they came through the door of faith, but that's as far as they got. They didn't move on into the house. Why? Because he says, even though they, they had been saved for a couple of years, they were still acting as if they had just received Christ. He says to them, you are infants in Christ. And they've been walking for five years with Paul. He says, I, I refer to you as, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual men. That, that word spiritual refers to the relationship with God, and, and it's often used in two different ways when Paul uses it. First of all, he talks about positional spirituality and practical spirituality. Positionally, when we come to Jesus, we get a new heart and are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Positionally, this is where we, we, we are. Romans 8, 9 says, however... You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. In other words, when you and I came to the Lord Jesus, the spirit of God came inside of us and we become spiritual people. Positionally, we are spiritual before God. And his spirit takes charge and perfects in us this image making of Jesus. Philippians 1.6 says this, Paul says, for I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a work in you, among you, will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. Aren't you thankful he's not done with you and me? Now, that may be true positionally. right? Positionally, that's very true. Jesus is still working on me, and I have been made, and I have gotten the Spirit of God, and I'm seated before the throne of God in heaven. He looks on me as if I'm perfect in Christ. Positionally, that's all true, but practically is where we get this thing jacked up. Paul says, even though that's true of you, you have been born again, I speak to you as just mere men. Men of the flesh, he says. He's referring to the lowest of spiritual levels. He has to speak to them almost like they don't even know Christ. In this context, it refers to man's fallenness, his Adamic nature, his selfless, fleshly desires that rebel against God, glorifying himself, so stay with me just for a moment. When we are saved, the flesh, you know this, the flesh isn't eradicated. But when you and I come and place our faith in Christ, the flesh can no longer dominate you or destroy you. 
That is very true, but the flesh can greatly influence you. So as a Christian, a Christian is not characterized by sin because he's been given a new nature, but we're characterized sometimes by the things that we do, and it's just the battle that we go through. So when a Christian sins, basically, he's living on the same practical level as an unbeliever. So Paul says, it's, you guys are living as if you're just fleshly men. In other words, he says, it's like you're infants in Christ. And let me tell you what that means where I'm from. He basically says, you're a bunch of immature Christians. That's what he's saying. You're just a bunch of babies. That's what he's saying. A bunch of immature people. You, you got saved, and that's about as far as you've decided to go. So, so then he says, if you're deeply immature in the things of God, here's what Paul is going to say. You are without excuse. You're without excuse. Because Paul, the Apostle Paul had been with them for 18 months, discipling them of what it looks like to move beyond infancy in Jesus. And then he refers to Apollos, and Apollos comes and is their pastor. Apollos is a greatly gifted man and pastors them in the things of God and helps disciple them for all these years. So the problem is not intelligence. The problem is that nobody taught them in ways they couldn't understand. It's not even a lack of access to teaching. Here's the problem, church. Listen to me. It was the problem with them. It's the problem today. It's not that we're ignorant and don't have means to grow. It's just that we choose not to. That's what he's saying. We would rather give in to our flesh and its desires than to grow in the things of God. And because they wouldn't give up their influences and their desires, they became what James says, they became hearers of the word of God and not doers. You know this. You know this to be true. You lose what you don't use. You know that. You get hurt. You go up in the hospital and you, you get to where you can't use these legs. You try to stand up after six months in the hospital. You're going to have lost a lot of muscle mass in your legs. Y'all know that to be true. Paul is saying this, nothing, nothing causes you to lose spiritual truth more than not living it. You can't just be blessed with all this spiritual truth and come to Jesus and then not use it. Selfishness stunts your growth. When Paul first arrived, he taught them the elementary doctrines and truth, what he refers to as milk here. But now, five years later, Paul says, I can't even teach you the difficult things of God because y'all still want me to give y'all milk. He says, if I were to even preach to you the, the meteor things of God, you couldn't digest it. And it's a sad reality that, that even after years of following Christ, many have not gone past the infant stage in their faith. Many are not even desirous of the word of God on a daily basis. Much less do we have this intense desire to study and grow an appetite for the meteor things of God. So they continue to live according to their fleshly desires. And you and I, church, listen to me. I'm preaching today, and if, if the conviction of God falls on you, I can't help that. I'm not trying to guilt trip you, though. I want to tell you that. But we today, our fleshly desires tell us, and we give into it, we put so, much, and so many other things ahead of just daily time with God. You and I live in a culture right now that says, hey, let's do everything we can on Sundays. And so we enroll all of our kids in sports stuff to take away from the very things of God. Even on Sundays, we give in to our kids' fleshly desires. We put many things ahead of serving in the church. Hey, can you serve in the nursery this weekend? Nah, I'm going to go hang out on the lake. So many things, so many selfish things above making the kingdom of God the priority in our finances. Pastor, I would tithe, but I got to pay for my new, my new car. Pastor, I tithe, but, but we need to do this. I got to travel here on the weekend. 
I mean, just day in and day out, we don't move past the flesh to get into the things of God. And that fleshly stuff will stunt you and you will just remain there and not be all that God's asked you. Here's something very interesting. Today, many don't want pastors to go deep. They want the preaching and teaching to stay on an elementary level so that sin is not exposed and so that they hear less rebuke and less correction. But here's something interesting. All doctrine has both milk and meat. It's just really a matter of depth and detail that we're talking about. Some are here this morning just learning that Jesus died for their sins. That's milk. Some others here today think about words like regeneration, justification, substitution, expiation. One is not any truer than the other. It's just that one is milk and the other is meat. But as believers, you can't just have milk. If you've seen this, please don't say so. This is not a rhetorical, this is a rhetorical question not to be answered. But have you ever seen a 21-year-old still on the bottle? And I don't mean the bottle, I mean the bottle of milk. Ever seen another parent of a 21-year-old carrying around a bottle and feeding the kid a bottle when he, when, he, when he gets hungry? You would say, that's just absolutely ridiculous, Pastor. That ain't the way the world works. Not according to Paul. Paul says there are a lot of believers that should be grown up by now and should be able to feed themselves in the deep things of God. But they can't get, watch this, they can't get past a five-minute devotional on any given day of their life. They have to have somebody else feed it to them. The only reason, listen to me, this is hard this morning. Nate, I am trying to do grace, man. The only reason that somebody wouldn't move from milk to meat is because they still want to satisfy their flesh. I don't have any appetite for that because I've got satisfied with the way I like milk. It must be remembered. It has to be remembered, though, that positionally before God, you are still saved, you're still going to heaven, but practically you are struggling. So how do we change this? That's really where I want to spend some time. We put up our spiritual antenna, if you will, I know that's probably an old word. I don't know if we even use antenna anymore. I don't know. But, but back in the day, you, you had these things, and, and they were these long kind of like aluminum kind of deals, and they kind of stretched out like wild things. And you put them on top of your television, or if you were to try to tune into a radio station, you'd kind of walk around the house and try to do this to, to capture the signal that was out there. What I'm saying to you guys is we need to raise our spiritual antenna and look for where the Spirit of God is at work. Whatever the Spirit of God begins to say, that's where we begin to move and knowing that your flesh isn't going to want to go there. The Spirit is always going to lead you to grow in Jesus. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you read the rest of it, church, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Did you hear that? How many of you know that's hard, though? But then we need to spend more time reading, memorizing, and studying the Word of God, right? Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, Paul says, watch this, and and, and this could be said in in any church, not just ours, but, but really any church, because he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. Justin, we could use a few more teachers around here. And I'm just gonna say it because it needs to be said. The reason we struggle with teachers here is because not enough people have studied to become teachers. That shouldn't be a problem in a church. We should have teachers coming out the wazoo that have been gifted with teaching. I will give that caveat. He says, by this time you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk, watch this, is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. The reason you don't want meats because you've never kind of had it. He's an infant, but solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Do you all see that? That's maturity. 
But, but here, I could, I could blast you all day, and I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to be real with the text. We have a path here to help you become on, on a growth path, to become all that Jesus has asked you to be. Let me just go ahead and say it this way. We have adult Bible school classes that go on Bible studies Sunday mornings at 9.15. If you're not in one of those, man, praise God, I encourage you to get involved because you're going to learn. They're going to give you some meat. Come to my class if you don't come to anybody's. My guy's shucking, he's shucking some meat, man. I'm sure Justin, Justin, he, you saw him. He'll be here afterwards. He can help you get in one of those growth groups. There, there are all kinds of things during the, during the evenings. You saw a growth group stand up here with my brother. That they go, and man, we're feeding each other meat and growing in Christ together. On Wednesday nights, we offer spiritual growth classes. I wasn't going to say this, but man, the Spirit of God just won't let me let this go. This church ought to be the first place you get all that. So if you're so full of getting it everywhere else that you can't do what we're doing here, you probably ought to make yourself a part of the church where you're getting it from. We're doing our best to provide everybody what they need, and we just need people, hey, man, if you want it, we're offering it. We're we're giving you meat. I'm saying, man, we need more people. And what, what... Listen, listen to this. What are you filling your mind with on a daily basis? What are you spending your time doing? Who are you listening to? Who are your friends and what are they encouraging you to do? Because if any of that is not helping you to deny your flesh, then just put it in modern day parlance. You probably want to kick it to the curb. If there's anything in my life, my podcast, listen to me, you can sit in front of Fox News all day long and be just as perverted as any other news station. You got to be careful what you're filling your mind with all day. Podcasts, music, if, if the pagan world of this world is what you listen to all day long, every day, no wonder you're still stuck in your flesh. You're saying, well, I don't like that other music. It's just like what Paul says, you haven't acquired a taste for it yet. Music that's based on the word of God will not make you feel good. Dr. Feel Good. Here's a principle. Here's what I'm trying to teach you today. Listen to me carefully. I'm your pastor. I'm just trying to be real with you. I know some of you are like, what happened to him? Who made him mad this week? (laughs) I ain't mad at you. I'm just passionate. Whatever you feed grows. Just know that. And whatever you starve dies. Whatever you feed is going to grow. So if you are feeding your flesh you can expect to get fat. But if you are feeding your spirit, you can expect to grow in faithfulness. You get to determine that. Your flesh will stunt your growth. Here's the second thing Paul says. The selfish flesh strengthens our grievances. The selfish flesh strengthens our grievances. Look there in verse... Three and four, he says, are you guys not walking like mere men? For one says, I'm of Paul. Another says, I'm of Paulus. Are you not mere men? Immature, selfish, fleshy Christians don't happen. This is good. Y'all might, this is good. This, this is really good. Fleshly Christians don't happen because of deficient genes. In other words, you're like, when I got born again, I didn't get all that you got, brother. I just had some deficient genes. It happens when you come to Christ. Well, you know what? I'm just a little more fleshly than you are because I got a spiritual born again. I got a spiritual just birth defect. Oh, that ain't how it happens. Immature, selfish, fleshly Christians exist because of their own choices. Paul says that because of their giving in to the selfish flesh, now they're consumed with jealousy and strife. Did you see that? 
They continue to have and give strength to their grievances with each other. The selfish flesh only serves to contribute and strengthen division in the body. Where there is division, there is a whole lot of flesh stuff going on. And if there's constant division, there can't be growth. A church that's constantly dividing can't ever multiply. Jealousy is the attitude, and strife is what results from it. Jealousy is the inner emotional condition, and strife is the outward expression of selfishness. Jealousy and strife are only two of the symptoms of our selfless flesh. Jealousy and strife and these, these selfly flesh things, they corrupt our morals. They, they will weaken relationships. They will produce doubt about God and his word. They will destroy a prayer life. It will provide fertile ground for immorality and heresy. And while there are many other sins that are fleshly, jealousy and strife are big ones because when there is jealousy and when there is strife, it is a sure sign we are walking according to the flesh just as unity is one of the strongest signs that we're walking according to the Spirit. See, jealousy is fleshly because it selfishly doesn't want what somebody else has. I don't want you to have it. I'm jealous of it. And jealousy is found in very immature people. Just talk to your kids this week. Just pay attention to what they say. They want a lot of things. It's mine. No, it's mine. I had it first. No, you didn't. Immature people are focused on their own needs. Thus, when I can't have it my way or get what I want because I'm jealous now, I will cause strife to get what I want. Division and grievances occur because jealous people cause strife by only aligning with their, their people or their, their other folks that they, they think agree with them or they appeal to them or they flatter them. Division always occurs where there's jealousy and strife. When a congregation is developed or built around loyalties to certain individuals, it is a sign of immaturity and fleshly living. It was sinful to develop factions around Paul and Apollos. These churches were following these men like these men did something for them. And Paul says, you're just living like men. You're living according to the flesh. James 4 says this, then what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? I mean, why is all this jealousy and strife? Is it not the source, your pleasures, your sinful flesh that, that wages war in your members? You're jealous, so you lust and you don't have, so strife, you commit murder. You're jealous and envious and you cannot obtain, so strife, you fight and you quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. You, don't, you ask and you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend it on your selfish pleasures. The selfish flesh only creates factions and grievances. And if you're listening by way of the radio or maybe you're on Facebook or maybe you're just here this morning, I want to ask you today, are you following someone right now who's being divisive? Are you following or listening to anybody that says they don't need this church or any church? That they're just going to go do their own thing and they're going to create their own group because they don't need this anymore? Or they don't need the church anymore? Are you more focused on a leader than you are on Jesus? Because if you're careful, you'll start to focus too much on me. Don't do that. You spend more time, listen, listen, listen. You spend more time listening to podcasts of your favorite leaders than you do listening to God in prayer. Be careful. Because the selfish flesh stunts our growth and it strengthens our grievances. And lastly, the selfish flesh steals from God. It steals from God. In verse 5, Paul says, hey, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe." Even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. Neither who plants or the one who waters is anything, but God, God causes the growth. 
They who plant and who waters are one, but each will receive his own according, reward according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Listen, simply put, for, for all those who want me to make it just simple and succinct, every single time, every time you can count this, when we give in to our sinful flesh, we steal glory from God. Every time. The answer to division, grievances, worldly, selfish, fleshly living is to put our eyes on the God we serve and to glorify him. When our attention and affection is on Jesus and Jesus alone, it can't be for other people. Apollos and Paul were simply servants through whom these people believed. They were the speakers of the message of salvation. They were the speakers of salvation, not the source of salvation. As Paul mentioned in chapter 1, verse 13, he says, hey, we didn't didn't die for you guys. Nobody was baptized in our name. These men are servants. He says, we're just servants. That's not the word. It's not the word doulos, which means a bondservant. It's the word diakonai, which, which is where we get our word deacon. It means a menial just worker, a table waiter, a bus boy, if you will. In essence, what Paul has said here is that no one could build a movement around a busboy. Nobody's going to build a movement around a table waiter. They are just the ones who bring you the food. Paul says, don't try to honor us. If you try to honor us, you're misplacing your honor. You're acting like the world does. They elevate people. Give your praise to the one who prepared the food. Give your praise to the one who made the food, not the one who brings it to you. Paul says something about who the gospel is served to. He says, as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I don't know what your theological persuasion is, but I'm going to tell you mine. The gospel is offered to every single person. The Lord desires in 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow about His promises, some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's the heart of my God. The Lord will give you an opportunity, as he's doing this morning, to hear and receive the gospel of Jesus. But here's what I can promise you. Your flesh will talk you out of Jesus. The enemy will try to convince you at the invitation this morning that you don't need Jesus. You know why? has nothing to do with you because the enemy in your flesh are trying to steal glory from God. That's why. Paul says he planted in Apollos water. They had done work, but the real work was God's. God was the one causing growth. Y'all know this. We're an agricultural group here. No man, no matter how skilled he is, can give physical life or growth to a plant. Y'all know that. And you can water that rascal, you can give it the best food on the planet Earth, you've got the best soil, the best procedures, the proper amount of sunlight, but you can't make it grow. If we can't do that with plants, how much more can we do that with people? Zip, zahnada. So, the most men can do is prepare the soil, plant the seeds and water it, and the growth is all up to God. Paul says neither the one who plants or waters is anything, but God causes the growth. Paul only references two kinds of work, and all work is important because all work for Christ is equally important. He was planting, and he or watering are one. We're one in Jesus, and all the glory goes to him. Recognition that we're one in Christ and that he is the one who makes it all happen is the way that prevents us from stealing the glory of God and for other people getting credit, which is only due God. In other words... When we focus on God as the one doing this, it leaves no place for the flesh, or we don't get jealous of each other, and we don't create strife among those who are seeming to get a little more attention than others. But God does recognize the faithful work of his servant, he says there, and he will give to each one the reward according to what he has done. Each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. That's some good stuff to me. The word there, it's interesting. I want you to turn your eyes there because I want you to see it. Each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. That, that word labor there is interesting. It's the word kopos. 
You may have heard this word in school. It's the word we get our word copious from. It means diligent, strenuous, extensive labor. In college or high school, or maybe even here this morning, you may hear somebody say, wow, they're taking copious notes. And that means they're writing everything down. They're working hard at it. They're intensely focused on it. And God says, you will receive your reward according to your extensive, copious amounts of work. Generally, it was the word for wages of a hired hand. Gradually, it became the, the meaning applied to how one was rewarded. We, we preach and believe that the Bible teaches salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone and has nothing to do with works. But works are not just a sideline issue. We don't work to be saved. We work because we are saved. And then God rewards our work, not with salvation, but with rewards. When we get to heaven, there will be a time to receive our reward. And aren't you thankful? Revelation eleven eighteen 18 says, And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. There's coming a time Jesus is going to give us some rewards. Amen? Matthew 25, 23, His master said to him, These are some great words. Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Praise God, it's coming. Hallelujah. But let me speak to where y'all really at today. I want to really encourage you. If I haven't said anything that's got your attention, just please hear me now, please. I want to speak to your heart from my heart. Church, I want you to know that God rewards your labor, not your success. God rewards your labor, not the results. God rewards your labor, not the numbers. God rewards your faithfulness, not all the stuff that you wish did or didn't happen. So if you're teaching a class and it doesn't seem like much is happening here at the church or you've just been faithful to teach it over at the school, God sees and he will reward you according to your labor. If you're leading a group and it seems hard, if you're doing mission work and haven't seen salvation, if you're living out your faith in your school and you're trying to be faithful on your sports team or you're just in your workplace and it seems like nothing is happening, please know that God blesses your labor. He doesn't bless your success. He's faithful to you and he sees and will reward your labor. Paul says that we're all God's fellow workers. The construction of this is, is interesting. You need to know, because I like to teach you this kind of stuff, because it matters, right? Because I'm trying to help you get meat, not just milk. Paul says we're God's fellow workers, we're God's field, we're God's building. You would see an apostrophe there, and, and it, it's got an S on it, and that tells us that it's in the possessive case, and that tells us in, in Greek, in the language, it's in the genitive case. In other words, what this means is, and you see it there, but I want to draw your attention to it because this is important. You are not your own worker. You're God's worker. You are not your own field. You're God's field. You're not your own building. You're God's building. We belong to God. This means that, that we are God's workers, God's field. It means we're the ones that have been given by God to accomplish the things on the earth. We're God's cultivated field. We're God's Building, In other words, it could be better translated, we're God's builders. The Christian is a laborer. He's a farmer. He's a builder. This means that the follower of Christ is a diligent worker. That's the point. You met a lazy, lazy builder, lazy farmer, lazy builder. If you have, they aren't in business long. I think farmers are some of the most hardworking people I've ever met in my life. You guys who run ranches, y'all are my heroes. And that implies that you're hard workers. And it's God's ministry you're working in. It's God's church in Corinth. It's God's church here at FBC. We're all just in this together. There's diversity of ministry, unity of purpose, and humility of spirit. I guess maybe the way that I want to say it this morning is this. You've often heard this in other places, but I want to apply it to the church. 
Are you hard at work here or are you just hardly working? See, when we work, the Lord gets the glory. But we've got to be careful that we don't steal from God. You know, a man who's dying of thirst in the desert doesn't care if he gets water from a bottle. He's dying of thirst in the desert. He doesn't care if it come, the water comes in a crystal glass. The guy's in the desert dying of water, of thirst. He doesn't care if the, the water comes from a puddle in the sand. He's only concerned with the water. He's not concerned with the vessel in which it's contained. And so too, men and women are only focused on the water of life. That is the message of the gospel. The vessels by which it comes are secondary. And those vessels should never get the glory. Only the water gets the glory. And Jesus is the water of life. He gets the glory. Nathan, if you guys would come. Selfish flesh stunts our growth. It strengthens our grievances and steals from God. So, if you want to grow, if you want to have unity, or if you want to bring God glory, the, the simple thing to do is just do the book. Let me give you two things I think that are going to help you. You have to intentionally grow your faith in Christ and focus on His love. Can I, can I tell you today, listen to me. Please hear your pastor. Please listen to my heart. The way to apply this message, I know it's going to seem like I'm speaking out of the wrong side of my mouth, but hear my heart. The way to take this message out of here and do something with it is to do this. It's not to start by saying, I guess I need to go sin less. You never start with sin. You always start with God. Start with how much God loves you. Love and grace are greater motivators than the law, the Scripture says. Don't start with the law. Don't go out of here and say, you know what, that sin that's been dominating my life, you're right, Pastor, I'm just a no good nobody. I need to get involved. I need to read my Bible. I need to give up all this. Don't start there. Go home and meditate on the things of God and how much He loves you. That's where you start. Love for God will motivate you to live for God. Please know that. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Watch this. But Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now watch this. Here's where we start. Who loved me and gave himself up for me. I cannot live in the Spirit apart from the love of God. The love of God motivates me to live and to walk in the Spirit. So maybe the best thing you can do, and, and this is going to sound so stinking heretical, and I can't, I, I'm okay, it's all right. I've been prepared for this all week. Maybe you need to go home and not so much worry about sin. Just go home and worry about your Jesus. He'll take care of your sin. Does Jesus hate sin? Does he want you to crucify sin? Yes, but does he know that you can't do that apart from his motivating power in your life? So grow your faith in him and rely on his love. And then after that, now after that, now put to death any sin. Romans 8, 13 and 14, for if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Galatians 5.24, Now those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what do you need to crucify this morning? What is it that you need to bring to Jesus today? As this band begins to play and as we begin to sing, I want to tell you something that I think is really important. I'm going to come down here, Dave. I just don't want you to be distracted. I'm intentionally making the move. The first thing I would encourage anybody in this room to crucify is your own sinful flesh. If you've never come to Jesus, that's the first place to start. So right now, we just want to ask you a question, man. Do you really believe the truths of these words? That God so loved you. 
that he gave Jesus, his only son, to die on a cross to pay for your sin, to die in your place, to be separated from his father so that you wouldn't have to die and be separated from the father. But God loved you that much that he gave his son that whoever would believe in him, believe that he died, believe that he paid the price. If you would just believe in him, you wouldn't perish, but that you would have eternal life. Do you believe that today? So the Bible says it is appointed for man to die and then the judgment. getting ready to celebrate Easter where Jesus has been raised from the dead and there's Jesus is in the middle and there's a thief on his right and there's a thief on his left and here's the crazy thing about that the thief on one side of Jesus said please forgive me and let me let me go with you take me into this paradise with you he repented of his sins and trusted that Jesus died for his sins and placed his faith in Jesus and Jesus said today you'll be with me in paradise but the other thief He's paying for his sin even today. My question to you today is, is which side of the cross are you on? Do you want to be forgiven? Because listen to me, you're either going to pay for your sin or Jesus is. Jesus loves you enough to pay for your sin. And I'm just begging you today, consider that. Your flesh right now is working overtime to tell you that this isn't true. That the, the enemy right now is trying to deceive you. And I'm telling you, you've got to crucify that flesh and you just come. We're going to sing. And as we sing, just come, grab one of us by the hand and say, hey, man, can you lead me to Jesus? And we'll do that. Others of you in the room that you've got some things going on in your life, there's some things that you maybe need to deal with. I don't know what you need to do, but maybe you need to come and pray. Maybe you make your altar, your chair an altar and pray right there. But would you stand to your feet and I'm going to pray and you come.